0: Here we go. Uh, welcome, everybody, to this week's podcast. Uh, we are going to be doing uh, uh, a personal uh, favorite of mine, the 1976 uh, Michael Anderson directed, Logan's Run, about which I guess we have a lot to say. Uh, do you want to nice. give a brief summary? Uh, I, again, I'm, I'm uh, Doug with Peter. Peter, do you want to give a, a brief summary as it's become our tradition?
1: Good evening. Yeah, I'll do a... Um I'm probably going to do a much worse summary than you because you've spent a lot more uh, time thinking about this flick than I have but um, basically the story is about uh, a city in a dystopian future in like 2200 something when the 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 popular I don't know, do they do they say in the beginning the popul- why the population has to be controlled I can't remember if they put something up or they just sort of it's just presumed that the yeah. population's been going out going out of control
0: they, they don't well Logan and at all they don't know they know nothing of the past
1: right they're clueless they just live entirely in the present in hedonism and when they hit thirty they die and the way they die well, they don't is die a, yeah they don't die per se but go ahead right well well they they think they don't die but they um, they go to a big ceremony on their thirtieth birthday, and they fly around on wires and then explode when they get to the top of the dome, the uh, top of the, the room. And um, well, um, you know carousel, right? Carousel. So, and during this ceremony, which is is showy and spectacular, the the inhabitants of the city believe that they're that they're being reborn um and uh where they were quote renewed um at at that point we learned later that really they they're just being killed essentially and and that's an endless cycle so um logan and his friend um Francis, Uh, Francis are sandmen. Sandmen are like the police that basically exist to chase down people who decide they don't want to go to carousel and they want to run. When they do that, they become runners and they try to escape the city somehow and they try to escape their the typical fate because they want to keep on going. Right. Uh, They're most, looking for a place known as sanctuary. Right. And most people are don't do that. Most people seem content to live uh, happily in this sort of semi-utopian but also slightly scary paradise where they really do live a rather hedonistic lifestyle that we'll talk about later. Uh, anyway, so, so Logan gets tasked by the master computer um, that seems to sort of run the show, to go find sanctuary somewhere outside of the city and go figure out where it is and destroy it because the computer wants to stop. And the computer informs him at that time that over a thousand people have escaped, which he had, of which he had no clue. He didn't realize that there were that many. They really, he thought that there were very few that actually were zero people. Right, were none. Yeah, I think right. Logan is under the impression that no one, like all runners had been accounted for. Right, Logan believes in the system. Um. When the movie starts, so he he meets. He uh, is the system. <laughs> he is right. He is the. He's the. Uh, or at least he's. He's the, the embodiment of the system. He's the arm of the system. He's the uh, striking, um, efficient uh, arm um, to, that keeps the system in check. So he he meets. Um, he meets a, a girl Jessica who's a little younger than he is, and eventually sort of figures out a way that she's connected to people who can get out and are trying to get people to sanctuary out of the city. So he uses that, and he goes, and he becomes a runner. Francis chases him. He goes with Jessica. They get outside of the city where they run into this robot named Box uh, who tries to kill them and freeze them, and at that time, they discover there are a whole bunch of people frozen in the ice under the city where Box the robot is. And then they actually they get away they the, the, they destroy the, the box they they get out and they eventually get out to a post apocalyptic overgrown Washington D C they get to the the U uh, S Capitol building and they run into Peter Yusinov who's a nutsy kind of dude who lives with like eight hundred cats in the in the Capitol building and basically says he's the only person he knows and there is no sanctuary and eventually they decide to go back to the city and um, at that point um, they get captured Logan gets taken in and interrogated by the computer that sent him out on the task uh, to find sanctuary in the first place the computer when it's trying to read his mind, doesn't really accept the truth that there is no sanctuary and that everybody, nobody actually has made it out. And somehow the computer sort of goes on the fritz and next thing you know, the doors are open and all the locals go out and they see the old man who they brought back with them. And that's where the movie ends. Right. And they realize that you don't have to die at 30. Like the old man's very
0: existence proves that the system is a lie. Right. Um, that That's a long summary. I think that's your longest
1: summary ever. It was good. <laughs> right. And it was a little less cynical than usual because it was actually, well, this is actually a good movie. Unlike our last, it's two a real, real film.
0: Dogs. It's <laughs> a, it's a real film that they worked, they worked very hard on. Um, you know, uh, it's kind of, I think this is kind of a landmark film, But maybe not in the way that people remember. This is the last big budget science fiction film before Star Wars. Yeah, right.
1: Like, this is literally
0: the end of, you know, a, a 10 to 15 year era in sort of like high concept, big budget science fiction. And sort of after this movie, Star Wars shifts the focus so much that virtually all science fiction films become about being on a spaceship and going to planets Um, and this brand and this type of dystopian science fiction really gets
1: marginalized or dropped for over a decade and then when it does return it really it returns in the nuclear holocaust setting only really
0: yeah or not the same way not yeah not not, they never really kind of go back to this like again like you know it's you know, I think the movie holds up well, but it certainly looks dated in a lot of ways, like this sort of this sort of type of movie and this type of writing like this is essentially the swan song.
1: Right. And it's probably um, the best. Uh, it's the best of the breed in, in some ways, although actually, I guess Planet of the Apes is kind of I think it. well, vein. you know,
0: I think it's I think it's on a par with Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes certainly had more commercial success, especially with the sequels. And this movie was made in part because By of the, the way, success of ironic. Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the, the producers of this movie were very, very aware of the success of Planet of the Apes, uh, right, and in 2001. 2001. And, and believe it or not, I, I, even, even Omega Man, um, you know, like they kind Boy. of felt like, you know, there was a lot of room for more science fiction. Um, I think Soylent Green was also in their mind as well. Soylent sure. Green, by the way, takes place in two thousand twenty-two. Logan's Run takes place in uh, two thousand sorry twenty-two seventy-four. And there is uh, there are some in this sort of fandom world who believe that Soylent Green and Logan's Run take place in the same world. Like like the world of Soylent Green gave way to the world of Logan's run, which is just sort of an interesting fan theory about which there's absolutely utterly no proof.
1: Um, The only thing they have in common is that they both came from Hollywood. (laughs) Right.
0: Um, So this is directed by uh, Michael Anderson, uh, a a real director uh, who I, you know, by the time he made this had about 20 movies uh, under his belt uh, he was sort of most known for Around the World uh, in 80 Days, although this became kind of his biggest film up to that time. Uh, he also made The Dambusters, Busters, uh, which uh, I will charitably say that George Lucas borrowed heavily from um, for the final trench run in Star Wars and the Attack on the Death Star. But if you watch some of the online comparisons between The Dambusters and The Last Half Hour of Star Wars, it's very, very obvious the uh, – influence that that had on George Lucas but again that's Michael Anderson who directed this uh,
1: as well Lucas was tired <laughs> it was only he 77 it. how can he be tired yeah but he, he slept like, you know the whole the whole <laughs> story about Star Wars is he slept like one hour a night for like four yeah. months in a row <laughs> well that's how you, you watch the made damn busters movie. and
0: you watch the damn busters and you tell me um. So a pretty big cast here for 1976. Um, Michael York uh, essentially playing his signature role. I mean, I think, you know, prior to this, he was known for playing D'Artagnan in um, the Two Three Musketeers movie. But this kind of like gave him a lot more mainstream visibility in America. And he still to this day is very powerfully identified with this role. Right. Uh, Richard Jordan plays Francis. Richard Jordan's passed away now. I think a lot of people kind of remember Richard Jordan more from his role in the sort of Tom Clancy uh, movies of the 80s. Um, he I was
1: think, on a bunch of TV, too. He's very recognizable. Yeah. Sort of a familiar guy from TV from the 70s and 80s. Um, Jenny Agater. Uh,
0: plays Jessica um, I think I think in kind of a, a in some ways a, a scene stealing performance I mean she is very very hard to take your eyes off of when she's on the screen partially because she's so beautiful but partially because she does a terrific job um, uh, and then Roscoe Lee Brown plays box uh, obviously Farrah Fawcett has a small part as Holly 13 although she um, She actually received a tremendous amount of media attention from this because it was sort of at the height of Charlie's Angels, uh, you know, popularity. And she was married to Lee Majors. You know, they were the Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston of their day, I guess.
1: Right.
0: Um, And um, Doc, uh, the sort of the murderous plastic surgeon, is actually played by Michael Anderson's son, Michael Anderson Jr., Obviously, uh, lending the movie a tremendous sense of gravitas in the second half is Peter Ustinov. Right. Uh, I've read several interviews with with uh, the cast over this, and you know Michael York has said uh, on record that he was told by his agent that if he didn't do the movie, they weren't going to make it um, because they really, really wanted him. So it's good that he actually agreed to do it. William Devane was supposed to be Francis and then he fell out mm-hmm. uh, and then they came in with Richard Jordan. Um, and uh, Jenny Agater uh, was you know pretty much unknown in America um, at this time. you know she had made uh, walkabout, which I think is it's either Australian or, or New Zealand film, which I'm sure no one in North America had seen. So she was essentially an unknown in america at this time and she was only 23 when they made this michael york was 33 but they mm-hmm. figured he could pass for 26 because he explicitly says that he has four more years before his last day so we can assume that logan is 26 at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. um and uh, i mean it's you know this is a serious cast like like this isn't you know this isn't omega man which has was a essentially big, one actor. This is they. This is a they. They put a real cast together. Yeah,
1: it was a it was a real production. It was a, MGM made it. It was a big. It was a real movie. They were shooting for. They were shooting pretty high with it. They were trying to capitalize on the um, science fiction uh, boom that really started in the late sixties, and um, and and they they were trying. So they, you know, they were they were gunning for. For making something with impact, and they would have a good box office draw, and it did. Yeah. It, you know, especially among the young, it did. It did pretty well. It and, did very
0: well, and it. it you know, it kind of came out at a time when, um, like fandom was looking for something to latch on to. And and for example, if you look at photos of old Star Trek conventions from the seventies, <coughs> um, like there was always, or, or science fiction conventions from the seventies, there was always a significant Logan's Run contingent of people dressed as Sandman or Runners or what have
1: you. Unfortunately a bunch of them were also dressed as as uh, Jenny
0: <laughs> or Box.
1: <laughs> Never mind Box. Um,
0: so um a lot of the movie is filmed in and around Dallas, Texas. Um and the one well, that's one of the things that the movie in is the famous mall. for Right, so the so so there's about a dozen or more sites in and around um, Dallas, Texas, where it was filmed. Some of it is actually filmed in Houston as well, and then there's obviously studio work done in Los Angeles. Um, and like, for example, the entrance to the city um, is the Fort Worth Water Gardens. Um, which I have always wanted to go to and have not been able to. But apparently, if you go to the Fort Worth Water Gardens, it looks very, very much today as it did in the movie. That's that's the pool that Logan and Jessica dive into at the end of the movie to re-enter the city. Although right. then it was much, much deeper, uh, and it's much, much shallower now because there was a drowning and they had to make the whole thing shallower. Um, and then, right. so now um, people just fracture their cervical spine when they dive instead of drowning. <laughs> right it's another form of last day i guess um and then um uh the obviously the big big set um carousel in the great hall is the it's it's sometimes known as the Dallas garment center or the Dallas apparel mart um and uh i you know it was funny because you know i've been to dallas a couple of times to give talks um and i have always wanted to go to the Dallas uh, garment center and actually see it because you know, it, they changed it very, very little. And, and if you look at fairly recent photos, it looks very much the same as it did in the seventies when they made this. And a few years ago, I was in Dallas and I had four hours before my flight. And I said, I'm going to go to the Dallas garment center and it has been torn down. You missed it. So it no longer exists. It's true. Um, uh, some of the um, scenes that were – there were some scenes filmed in Houston at the Houston Hyatt, which is sort of known for its very interesting elevators that were deleted. But, I mean, uh, the, they, the filmmakers realized that there was sort of this wave of sort of ultra-modernist architecture in Dallas, and they were able to capitalize it and uh, film just a tremendous – a uh, number of sequences there, including, you know, the Sandman headquarters, the gym where they're in the pool and other other scenes. But uh, there are places online where you can look up, for example, uh, you know, all of the locations in Logan's Run. And you can sort of basically drive around Dallas and see about a dozen or 18 spots that were filmed in the movie, which is I think is kind of cool. Mm-hmm.
1: And they also, um, the sets were expensive. You know, the, what they did have to build... You know they did spend a lot of money on, and they made them, yeah. You I know mean, they're pretty fancy looking,
0: right? And it and, and and you know there's a few glaring bad effects that, that I'll get to, but I think most of the effects in the movie hold up very very well. Uh, like the sets look good. Like it's convincing that they're in a futuristic city. Yeah. Um, you know the 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 costumes make intuitive sense. You know you never explicitly told what the costumes mean, but you understand that people are wearing clothing that is matched to the color of their life clock, which they refer to as a palm flower in the books. Uh, but it's the life clock in the movies and you just sort of, you just sort of get it, you know, and yeah. uh, black is the color, uh, you know, when you die, uh, hence the Sandman wear black. Yeah. Um, I think a couple of glaring uh, I'll point them out just to be uh, objective. There's a couple of glaring bad effects, uh, one of which is, unfortunately, Carousel, um, which is and really they, meant – it's meant to be a spectacular sequence. And um, they tried and what, so hard. And they spent a fortune on it. And mm-hmm. and it – I mean, it's what's, what it's really, really memorable for is the visible wires.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they didn't
0: like – right to remove them or they you know like in 2001 they filmed people from below so the wires weren't visible but they didn't do that here they filmed everybody from the side and unfortunately the wire work is very very apparent and i remember distinctly i saw this movie in the theater uh, Mm -hmm. at a very very young age and i i literally thought that they were being carried up to the ceiling on cables like oh that's part of carousel like that was my impression
1: at the time like the wire work is so visible. Like we um, said before, not everybody can be Stanley Kubrick.
0: <laughs> no disrespect to Michael Anderson. Um, no, and I think
1: also, um,
0: I think also, a sort of a disappointing effect is box. Um, box, box looks awful.
1: I think Carousel looks spectacular compared to Box.
0: Well, box I think looks, the problem well, with Box is goofy in general. Well, the the problem with Box is the whole box sequence in the movie. It's unclear, you know what's really happening, like it's sort of presented in a sort of murky way and you can kind of figure out what's happening but it certainly isn't explicitly stated. And, you know, Roscoe Lee Brown is obviously wearing multiple pieces of, you know, chromed plastic and dry, they have gaps and you can see him and you can see him through it. Like you can see that there is an actor underneath the costume. Like You know, it's as if you could see, you
1: know, Anthony Daniels inside C-3PO, which is exactly what you can do with Box. Yeah, it really looks crappy. And and it doesn't make – actually, when they get out of the city, it's a little goofy in general.
0: Although, I think that when they get out of the city – and they're wandering around old uh, Washington, D.C. There's some very nice use of matte paintings, especially, for example, when they're at the Lincoln Memorial, right? Mm-hmm. And they, you know, it's a great pullback shot where you, the audience, realize, oh, my God, they're in Washington, D.C. in the mall. Yeah. And they have no idea who, who Lincoln is or what anything is around them. And, you know, they're, they're completely clueless. I mean, a good word for Logan and Jessica is... It's truly that they are ignorant. Like, and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I mean it in a literal sense. Like, they know nothing. Like, it's implied that they have virtually no education at all. Right. You know, so, like, the world is a mystery for them. And I think it's never made clear in the movie than when they emerge from the dome for the very first time and they see the sun,
1: to which Jessica asks Logan, what is it? Right. Yeah, the the, the future, the dystopian future is... One where clearly there's just an enormous body of knowledge. Nearly all all of the body of knowledge that's been accumulated is gone. Right, or it's been automated in a way that, in a sort
0: of self-maintaining automation that the people have lost the knowledge, if they ever had it, of how to operate the machines or invent them themselves, etc. Like, you don't see anybody fixing anything. Everything works perfectly.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the sort of the center of the dystopian reality isn't even so much that they get killed at 30. It's that the world they're, they're, they're no longer sentient in a way. They just sort of, everything is taken care of. It, they live in this, this completely automatic system. Nothing changes from generation to generation. They do the same thing. It's kind of like, um, on uh what's the, the 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 pixar movie with the uh, cruise ship and the robot oh right right, uh, right. Wally, wally and wally yeah and right. wally it's the same thing you know they've spent hundreds of years just living on this cruise ship right um, although no one's obese in logan's run
0: <laughs> right <laughs> they're right. all obese in wally <laughs> exactly
1: but wally was was really great too and and it's very it, that sort of a uh, sense of dystopianism is very similar
0: right and also sort of with the same idea of the ruined earth yes um uh what was i gonna say um but you know there's but there is you know they do hint that there are dark sides and for example um you know the whole sequence for example when they um deal with the cubs when they have to go to cathedral yeah. and they deal with the cubs and it's sort of it's not even implied. It's explicitly stated that there are some people who do not fit into the city who are too wild, right? You know, they're referred to as violent delinquents uh, by the computer. Um, and it's interesting sort of, you know, about a third of the way through the film that, you know, they go out of their way to spend about 15 minutes in cathedral and see that not everybody is, you know, working uh, and you know, having a great time at the love shop or getting a new face or, you know, wandering a, a glittering mall, Right. Um, that some people are living in filth and rags and violence so it's 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 interesting that they chose to include that to sort of show that the city itself was not perfect
1: right um and they don't deal with it you know they just these people are just sort of thrown together in a slum and then, right exactly the sandmen just sort of once in a while go in there and rough them up to keep order
0: and it's also stated that um above a certain age, the, the cubs turn on the older one and eventually they'll, they'll start murdering the older ones. Right. Um, like, like Logan, carousel. Logan taunts Billy, the lead cub by basically saying, you know, it's very, very soon they will turn on you and you'll be dead. Right. Um, so, you know, I think it's also important to point out that, you know, Logan isn't just the sort of arm of the system or the embodiment of the system. He's the willful and gleeful, uh, embodiment of the system, and the you know uh, the, the in the opening scene, uh, which in which we see Carousel, uh, Logan and Francis are called out uh, to uh, go after a runner, um, and the, the whole sequence is a, an extended cat and mouse game where it is very very strongly hinted that Logan and Francis could kill this runner at any moment, but they don't because it's more fun to string him along. You know, get him to run around, tire him out, and then sort of kill him in a spectacular way. Um, and, you know, Logan and Francis, you know, laugh and have a good time uh, with the killing.
1: Yeah. And they, they like their job. They, they fully buy into the system. They're also in the system. They're very high status as Sandman.
0: Right. And it's unclear who's more high status um but uh they're definitely supposed to be, you know, definitely at, at the top of their game. Right. Um you know, and I think Logan's love of the world and his unquestioning belief in the system is meant to make his actual running all the more dramatic. And for example, the scene where the computer reprograms his life clock, I think is one of the best scenes in the movie because the entire scene. Logan is, is completely not following, you know, like the computer explicitly tells him there's a thousand unaccounted runners. Um, they're, they're looking for the sanctuary. the symbol onk that Jessica wears around her neck is associated with this. And you're going to, you know, break the city seals, go outside and figure this out and destroy them, you know, and, and the whole conversation with the computer, Logan is very, very far behind the, the eight ball. He doesn't really understand what's happening. He, the idea of going outside has never occurred to him. Right. Um, and he is unhappy and and very unwilling to accept this. And his, his no pun intended, his hand is literally forced when the computer rewrites his his life clock and basically puts him at last day. Right, it gyps him out of four years. Right, which which the computer never promises to give back to him. Right. You know, he sort of acts as if he, he wants it back and hopes to get it back, but the computer never says anything to that effect. By the way, I don't know if you noticed, but um, the voice of the computer is the same woman who's the red runner that uh, Logan and Jessica let go, who was later murdered by Francis. Hmm.
1: That's her. Um, I wonder if Logan, one of the reasons he decides he turns into an actual runner... And really starts to wonder about the system. I mean, it's sort of spurred in some ways by the fact that an injustice is done to him, and that he loses his time. I think he starts to—he's annoyed, you know, rightfully so. But he's—he's not happy that that he just lost time. So,
0: so this is a gray area of the movie, and actually, Logan's transformation from undercover Sandman to dedicated runner rebel, right. It's, it's murky and it, and it is in all fairness, it is poorly explained in the sense that like, for example, when they go to the new you shop, when he has to go and try to change his appearance in an attempt to hide from the Sandman who will be looking for him, he's kind of, he's not all there yet. Like he's not quite officially, you know, he's still an undercover Sandman at that point. Right, um, and you know when he when he the, the, the famous scene in Logan's apartment where he corners Jessica and basically enlists her help. You know, like she's skeptical. Her friends are skeptical. You know, log. I think Jessica becomes convinced of Logan's sincerity before Logan himself becomes convinced of his own sincerity. And for example, uh, when they're in a carousel, not carousel, I apologize. When they're in cathedral later on. Um, uh, he actually summons the sandmen. Like there's an explicit shot of him activating his, uh, you know, his comm unit, uh, his functionally his tricorder, uh, which summons the other sandmen. Yeah. Uh, and this is seemingly after he has, um, he has decided to. Uh, run. To run, to I, sorry, I believe it's referred to as a follower. His their version of the tricorder, um, but you know, like that scene is very, very hard to explain at that point in the movie. Like I've often wondered, like why didn't they edit that out? It doesn't, it doesn't quite make sense that he summons the Sandman um, at that point in the movie. Although, you know, when he gives the the woman in red, who's also the voice of the computer, like he gives her you know, a defensive weapon. Like he gives her some blind gas that she could use to evade pursuers. Like that's sort of the moment I think where he more buys into it. Yeah. Like he's actually helping another runner and giving her police technology. Yeah, it is, it is murky. It is murky and it, it's, it's never kind of well handled and it. There's just sort of like a lot of gray zone there where Logan sort of vacillates and then sort of, you know, once they emerge you know from their their fight with box and they emerge out into washington d c you know he's committed at that point uh, but but his actual transformation like he vacillates and and I, perhaps Michael Anderson was just trying to be sophisticated and, and make it seem like Logan wasn't sure, but it, it's it's a little tough on the viewer. I will say that Let's talk about the book a little bit. So, have you read them? I've I've read the three main books.
1: I haven't. I read the Wikipedia page about the book. (laughs) So the plot. So I I know you know the. I know you've I know you've read it. You read it back when, but especially the first book, which is really was the 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 book the screenplay was derived from and the movie was derived from was written in nineteen sixty seven. Right, uh, by I, both
0: William F. Nolan and George Clayton Johnson. By the way, does the name George Clayton Johnson ring a bell for you?
1: Is it a Star Trek writer? He,
0: he wrote The Man Trap. So yeah. he wrote the first aired episode of uh, the original Star Trek,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, as well as a bunch of Twilight Zones. But, but um, the two sequels, Logan's uh, World and Logan's Search, um, I believe are um, only written by William F. Nolan. Like George Clayton Johnson exits the franchise at that point,
1: right? And they're they're um, capitalizing on the the movie basically at that point, right? Because the sequels
0: are the the original book is written in sixty seven. The sequels don't come till after the movie is made a decade uh, later. And again, uh, no no disrespect to uh, William F Nolan fans uh, in the audience, but I would say that this is a rare example. Of the movie is better than the books. Um, that is rare. And, And again, this is certainly the opinion portion of the program, but, you know, Logan's run is is opinion, (laughs) especially this part. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Logan's run is a good book, um, but it's written very, very chaotically. And it's written in this sort of like ultra breezy way. Um, It has a, a somewhat confusing ending where Francis is revealed to be an old man named Ballard. And whereas in the movie, Sanctuary is a myth. There is no sanctuary. Um, it's just an idea that they've been chasing forever. In the book, Log- uh, Sanctuary is an actual place, uh, and it's actually on the moon, believe it or not. I'm not making that up. That's how the book ends. They, Logan and Jessica go to the moon. And then uh, Logan's world and Logan's search just sort of get worse and worse and worse and farther and farther from the original premise. Um and, you know, at one point, Logan is a farmer on Earth, and then they're on the moon, and there's a plague. Like, it, it literally just becomes almost unreadable. That having been said, I've probably read all of the books several times, but nonetheless, <laughs> um, you know, every time I read it, I'm I'm amazed at how much it goes in And it makes you wonder, too, like, did, did Nolan need clayton johnson's help you know what i'm saying like was mm-hmm. was was what clayton johnson brought to the project that made the first book good just
1: plain missing you know what i mean i was you know reading the the summary i was wondering if you know it, it says in here sanctuary is is argos which is a, an abandoned space colony basically
0: yeah, for some maybe it, maybe it's I just remember that they're but, in
1: space at the end. For some reason, right. I thought it was the moon, but I could be wrong. Well, they, they go to some. It's basically it's a extra. It's an extraterrestrial space colony that's abandoned. And so so they have to they they have to leave Earth, but I almost, it's sort of a neater ending in some ways than than the movie
0: it's a it's certainly a happier ending in it's the sense that they ad- they achieved their goal but on the other hand you could see why they didn't do it for the movie because then everyone in the dome city is left to just keep on dying like they have to from a from a dramatic perspective they must return to the city and end the killing which they don't really do in this in the movie they just leave sorry in the book i
1: mean they just right. leave
0: I'm like yeah right, ah, ah, you guys
1: all go to carousel we'll be up here on the spaceship well i think you know that that <laughs> the system is supposed to be breaking down, so they basically leave those people to their fate, which is that gradually the city is gonna fall apart and then sanctuary, they're gonna the people who get out who are worthy enough to kind of escape will will make a new civilization. Maybe. <laughs> I guess that's probably, I mean, I don't know. I didn't read the book, but I, I could sort of yeah. see that that being an alternative plot. But, you know, the other thing is that they changed is uh, in the book, um, you die on your 21st birthday, not your 30th. And they moved that back to 30 in the movie for understandable casting reasons. Right, right. I think they were
0: too worried about finding actors who could pull it off at age 15 or 13. Right. And maybe and the other thing too is you could imagine that would have difficult time drawing an adult audience. And the and the, the other thing too is, you know, they couldn't really have sexual content if every character was less than
1: eighteen. Well, if they were making it now, they'd make it a bunch of kids.
0: And in the book, there's a lot of sexual activity. Like there's there are there's a sort of scenes of, in the book of them running around, sort of in the nighttime time having. Sexual encounters with strangers, essentially, which obviously in the seventies they couldn't do in a movie.
1: Well, um, well, they did. They did some fun stuff in the movie, like the circuit, which is you know like a uh, Tinder, you know, right? It's like, <laughs> it's, it's the Tell a Tinder. <laughs> it's tel- right? It's basically like these people show up in a little <laughs> platform in your living room, and you can swipe whatever right or left, and they right, you know, they disappear. Right. Although and what's
0: it, interesting is. Uh, In that brief, brief sequence where Logan is sort of flipping through uh, the circuit, um, you know, he's not repulsed when a man appears. He's just like, nah, not my thing. But there's sort of an acceptance of homosexuality
1: is uh, at the very least implied, if not explicitly stated. Right. And I think he asks Jessica when she doesn't want him if she's a lesbian, too.
0: Right. Right. He does, in fact, ask uh, if she if she would rather be with a girl. Do you want to talk about the gun? The gun is almost a character in its own right.
1: Oh, the Logan and Francis's uh, right—the the so-called sidearm.
0: flame gun.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so basically, they. Um, it's a pretty decent effect, actually. The the gun shoots flame out of the end when they, when they carry the Sandman's sidearm, basically, with which they execute the runners and it's sort of you know their 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 instrument and uh um, yeah and
0: and it's a truly novel looking weapon like it doesn't look like a phaser you know it doesn't shoot a laser beam like it shoots some sort of projectile that you can't see right um which is interesting i mean it, may, it makes them more in the mold of policemen with a gun and the gun i think the gun became very iconic and for example to this day if you go on ebay and you type Logan's Run Flame Gun or Logan's Run Gun, like there is no shortage of people making and selling either dummy or working uh replicas of the gun. Hmm. Which you know, then they have um you know, they have uh their follower device, again, their sort of version of the tricorder that never really kind of caught on, but in fan circles, but the Logan's Run gun I think became fairly iconic and, and like uh Richard Coyle On his rack props uh, website has a very, very lengthy discussion of the Logans run flame gun and the the innards and how it was manufactured. Michael York said that um, they were terrified of it because they were always kind of convinced it was going to blow up in their face. (laughs) And apparently it was incredibly loud uh, and it got very, very hot. And they can only only pull the trigger a few times before – The fuel, I think it was acetylene or whatever it was, ran out. But he said that, like, if you watch the movie carefully, you can see sometimes when they pull the trigger, they're kind of flinching a little bit because they're afraid of it. Yeah. uh, I guess a word on costumes. Um, So so yeah, and, and very, I thought very much influenced by Halston. Like, I was, you know, I'm very sort of aware of the fashion designer Halston's sort of influence in the 70s was all these sort of, like, drapey gowns, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what's interesting, too, is how uh, the people in the future don't appear to wear underwear. Um, and in many scenes, Jessica is visibly not wearing underwear underneath her diaphanous gown and other you know it's part of the implied sort of hypersexuality like everyone's available at any time
1: right that's also you part know? of the box office charm
0: right right and the men are you know women are wearing chokers and the men are wearing you know a lot of like a, a lot of a lot of bearing of uh, under 30 year old flesh mm-hmm. uh in this movie um We'll talk about the TV show in a little bit, uh, but the the Sandman outfit in this movie is different than the Sandman outfit in the TV show, because uh, what looks like a one-piece on Logan is actually a, a pair of pants, a long sleeve black shirt, and then he's wearing a sort of a sleeveless sweater on top of it, and that's what contains the gray stripe. Um and, for example, if you go to the Science Fiction Museum in Seattle, sometimes they will have on display Michael York's costume. And when you see it up close, it's it's immediately apparent that it's it's not a one-piece top. It's actually two-layered garments. But when they made the TV show, they couldn't do it. It was too hot because a tremendous amount of the TV show is filmed outside in the sun, and they couldn't do it. So they, they switched the costume to a simple one-piece uh, for the television show. Um, and a, f- a fair bit of the costumes survive. Um, There's a lot of jewelry uh, and a lot of clothing. Like Almost all the women are wearing multiple pieces of jewelry, and a lot of the jewelry made for the costume um, uh, survive. Although a lot of the costumes got sort of mixed in with the costumes from the show, and sometimes it's difficult to tell was a costume made for the show, made for the movie, used in both, modified, etc. So, like... Like, for example, on eBay, you can see authentic Logan's run costumes available. Like, there are authentic Sandman costumes available, which are almost certainly from the show. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas the actual movie costumes, there's only a few left. But again, Logan's, like Michael York's hero outfit is, at least it has been on display at the Sci-Fi Museum in Seattle next to Jessica's green dress. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to say a few words about Ustinov? And the scenes in D.C.?
1: Peter Ustinov, yeah. I I have to, um, I mean, well, Peter Ustinov obviously was an extremely well-known actor, British actor, but in just a vast array of movies, Broadway, Shakespeare. Right. He's Hercule
0: Poirot, I think, to a whole generation of Americans
1: and and Britishers. Right, done a whole bunch of stuff, but... You know his his role. He's sort of uh, in this movie. um, It's not a lot for him really to do. He he plays a sort of a spacey, lonely guy living in the capital. Um, You know he's he's the crazy cat lady, um, basically, and the the most useful. I mean, his purpose is his useful purpose is basically to show that an old man can exist and talk about his parents. And when he talks about his parents, um, they realize, and he says that there aren't really, he doesn't know of anybody else out here. So basically there are very few people living outside of the, the domes and he was born outside the domes. He never escaped. And, um, he's lived his whole life basically in a, 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 in a almost a pretty solitary fashion
0: i like the way that he says that he buried his own parents right it's very lonely you know like like right that that very very small line creates a whole world of isolation and loneliness yeah you know and you you sort of get the 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 sense that
1: he passes his entire days muttering to himself yeah I mean, no. the he is he's a sort of a nutsy you know crazy cat dude and he um and and that's there's not much there's not much there and he sort of retains snippets of history really small snippets that are distorted that have made their way down which is w- an infinitely more wise than the than, than Logan and Jessica who came out of the Dome where there's no knowledge transmitted any, down the generations at all. Right.
0: And you almost get the sense in the Dome there's intentionally no knowledge transmitted, you know, whereas right. the old man is surrounded by books that he probably can't read, you know, right. and,
1: and pictures of people he doesn't know who they are, even though we know that they're the presidents. But at least he knows that they were significant, and he knows that, and he, he has a couple of, you know, tidbits that have survived just by oral history, I guess. Right. But basically what's clear when they're out there is that nobody escapes. Then you can kind of figure out that box, the strange uh, robot with dryer duct arms um, (laughs) has has killed and frozen... Riding
0: a unicycle. (laughs) Yeah,
1: has killed and frozen everybody who managed to get out. So all of the 1,056 runners um that got out uh they're all they're dead and they never made it they're frozen right And,
0: and again that's something that you know does not come through so clear it's never explicitly explained but you know i think enough has been written and said by the filmmakers to basically conclusively say that these are all the runners and box has that cryptic statement you know you know the the other food sources stopped coming and they came which leads to the question is the city consuming the runners? Like, are they somehow being fed back into the city as processed food? Again, by the way, showing why people think that maybe this is the same universe as Soylent Green.
1: Right. And, and you don't, when, when you're watching the movie through and they get out and they run into Peter Ustinov, you're really wondering where everybody else is. And you, you're sort of waiting for them to move on and find sanctuary or find something. and, it eventually you kind of it, it's there's no moment of epiphany but you get the sense that because he keeps sort of saying that there is no one else there's nobody around right and right so and again and a lot uh, you know you and a lot of in a
0: lot own. of movies they would have gone out and found all sorts of other groups which is kind of what happens in the show but we'll get to that but right i mean ustinov he's it right he's the last guy Right, right, and he's and and so much so that one of his primary concerns is that he wants to be buried when he dies because he realizes there's no one to bury him. Right, right, and he makes Jessica promise him that they will bury him when he passes away. Like so convinced is he that there's no one else. Right, he doesn't want to be eaten by the cats and right <laughs> or whoever. Um, so uh, so um. So Francis – you know, the, the the scenes where Francis is chasing them are very well done. And I think one of the best scenes in the movie, it's a very brief shot. It's Francis emerging from Box's ice cave into the sunlight. And it's about a 15-second shot, and the music is very, very dark. And up until now, you've kind of almost forgotten about Francis, and it's to remind you that he is relentless, right? That right. he is he is a professional policeman who has not forsaken his duty. Uh, and he's always sort of lurking behind them. amazing that he's able to find them wandering around d c but uh he does find them
1: he's an um, th- by the tracker. way, just
0: a brief since I mentioned the music, I don't know if you noticed, and I didn't notice it when I was a kid, but um all the music in the city is synthesized, and all the music when they're outside the city is orchestral. Mm,
1: yeah, I remember there's a bunch of analog synth in the in the uh in the city, yeah. Uh right and then and, and like never more prominent for
0: example than when you first see that that long shot of the model like that there's an enormous model of the dome city uh with a lot of detail um
1: and uh when you first see the city it's also sort like do, right there's do, do, a bunch do, do, do. of there's a bunch of like don Bukla west coast synthesizer sounding <laughs> sounding uh beeps and boops like uh going around Right,
0: and then the first time you hear actual uh, music on regular instruments is when they see the sun. That's the transition. Right. Um, So, I'm going to throw a theory out here, and I'd be curious if you support it or refute it. Um, I have no corroborating evidence, but I believe that this movie is a love triangle. Um, I think Francis is in love with Logan. Hmm. Like, Francis is disproportionately angry at Jessica. Like he's really, really, really upset. And the scene where he confronts her when, when he grabs her in uh, the Capitol, when he confronts her, you know, he is essentially acting at least to my eyes, like a rejected suitor or a rejected lover, you know, Hmm. like there's a little bit of a, a, to use it, perhaps a dated term, there's a little bit of a slashy element to the film. Uh, and that maybe, just maybe, Francis has an unrequited love for Logan. I'm just going to throw that out there. But, like, to my eye, like, boy, does Francis get upset. Like, really upset with Jessica. Like, he's threatened by her mm-hmm. in a very, very real way. I don't know. What do you think? Am I making it up?
1: I don't know if they meant it that way, but it it explains his behavior. I mean, they may just be trying to make, to show that the system has some stickiness to it. You know, that that changing, that getting out of their, their current existence, protected existence in the domes is not going to be that easy and that there's, there's inertia and there's just something appealing about the way they live. And Francis is... Um, is is illustrating that
0: yeah i don't know just i don't know like he is
1: a little bit emotional though
0: he's very now granted he's also been wandering the (laughs) post-apocalyptic wasteland without any food or water (laughs) (laughs) for a couple of days and no but i I, I don't know and again it's something i never noticed as a kid but on watching the movie as an adult uh, it just – it seems to me that his reaction is too strong just to be pissed that his friend ran away. Hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, I'll just – I'll, I'll, I'll leave that out there. Um, so Michael York has said uh, that he's responsible for getting Farrah Fawcett the part. Um. So uh, he has said Um. – I've read a couple of interviews where he's told versions of this story – that he was basically on a tennis court, and then he saw Farrah Fawcett Majors uh, playing tennis, uh, and then he went and told the casting people that they should find a way to just put her in the movie. And that's essentially how she got her part. Um, uh, I guess other thoughts I wanted to comment on the sets. Um, I think I think Logan's apartment looks great. I would actually like to live in Logan's apartment. I think it looks pretty great. You just want to use um, the I, circuit. Well, of course <laughs> um i think that uh, the new U shop is a brilliant idea that was very very much ahead of its time in 1976
1: um you just know, sort of the, way the, up, looks, the way the shop looks i wanted to just the way the shop looks and from uh, sleeper
0: <laughs> which actually looks a little bit like the uh sort of similar layout of to, the, uh, to the new U shop um and, uh, you know, I like the way that uh, the Sandman headquarters looks. I think the Sandman headquarters looks great. Um, but speaking of Sandman headquarters, I think uh, in one of the one of the movies kind of failures is when when Logan uh, and Jessica return to the city after uh, after Francis is killed. Uh, they're caught and they're interrogated. And the interrogation sequence, I think, kind of flops uh, because, you know, they're obviously using, you know, holograms of Michael York. Um, that just don't look great on film. And, um, you know, I've read interviews with Michael York and and Michael Anderson, who both said like, man, when you saw it on the set, it was incredible. And in the seventies, no one had seen a hologram, like literally no one had seen a hologram and they were, they had spent a fortune on it. And on TV, they just looked like little plastic things turning, which is what they were. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah, and um, well, I think the computer, the interrogation scene's not great. It doesn't make sense that the computer sort of just uh, dis- completely just dis- blows
0: up. You right, mean, it's-, it's very reminiscent of Shatner talking to Landrew or Nomad and sort of like
1: talking the computer into blowing itself up. Right, which they don't even explain. It, it makes no. less sense than when Shatner does it.
0: Well, and I think, and again, uh, one of the big, big flaws of the movie is that Okay, I could buy that the computer blows up, and I could buy that Logan destroys the life clocks. Like Logan is seen to shoot the master life clocks. Like right. he's really messing the system up now. Like from point blank range, he's shooting the blue and the the sorry, the red and the green life clocks, etc. But to this day, I don't understand then why does the city
1: explode? Right, like buildings all over town just start blowing up right the whole place just goes under in one shot it, it's a little confusing it doesn't make sense it's 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 right.
0: it's uh it looks great on the screen and it's a big it's a bigger budget ending but you know that's sort of like saying if i went down to the state capitol you know and and and, uh, and shot a computer that like buildings all over town would explode like it doesn't make any sense yeah it's goofy right Right? like everything's wired with explosives what you know, I think I, I think we've talked before about how Michael Anderson's uh, other big sci-fi movie, Millennium, also strangely ends with everything exploding. So maybe, maybe <laughs> like, no, I'm not kidding. Like, it's kind of the same thing.
1: Like, maybe he just likes to end his movies with a lot of big explosions. Um, it also had another, uh, had another Charlie's Angel in it, too. Ah. Uh-huh.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I didn't Cheryl think of Ladd. that. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah, good point.
1: Mm. <laughs> good point. Pull, pulling the pulling the 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 strands of the web together. He's trying. He was um, probably trying to make a movie with all four Charlie's Angels.
0: <laughs> I'd see it. <laughs>
1: well, not anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah maybe. <laughs> um. So, uh, a couple of things I want to touch on. Uh, I want to talk about the TV series. I want to talk about sequels, official and unofficial, as well. Um. So um, the the TV series um, I uh, I believe was seventy, I think was seventy eight. Let me just pull up what
1: year the the uh, the TV series came out. It was long Um, enough after Logan's Run to have come out a menace success. Plus, you get Star Wars.
0: Right, and, and what a lot of people um, don't realize about the television show, and that I did not realize, even having watched it as a kid, because I watched it as a kid when, so actually it was a 1977 TV show, so the, basically, you know, almost immediately after the movie came out in the theaters, um, the television show is not a sequel. And you know, I watched as a kid uh, on TV. Uh, but I, it came out on DVD a few years ago and I bought it and I watched it and it is not a sequel. It is in fact a remake and the opening episode is two hours and it is a remake of the film with a different ending. Um, and, uh, the, the film stars Gregory Harrison as Logan, Heather Menzies as Jessica, and then they meet an android along the way named Rem who's played by none other than Donald Moffat. Uh, Who would go on to play the president, um, I believe, in some of the um, Tom Clancy movies as well, possibly alongside uh, the actor who played Francis. And then. Wait a um, second. The robot was named Rim? Yeah, no, Rem. Uh. (laughs) R E M. (laughs) That was good, though. Um, And the show is, you know, in many ways, it feels like. Uh, the original Star Trek. It uses a lot of the same uh, writers from the original Star Trek. DC Fontana is the story editor. Hmm. Um, and it feels in many ways more like Star Trek than it feels like uh, Logan's run. And the premise of the show is that Logan and Jessica and the robot Ram, R-E-M, <laughs> um, Should have been they, Ram. they acquire a solar-powered car and truck around the post-apocalyptic world. Um, And and every week they meet somebody who's in need of help and saving. And then uh, Logan, who's played by Randy Powell, um, periodically catches up with them. And some episodes just deal with the main characters and other groups. And other episodes are them sort of running from... Uh, Francis and other Sandmen. And for example, in this, in in the TV version, Francis does not die in the remake of the movie. So he's sort of always there to chase them. And and there's, I believe that there's 14 episodes. It it only lasted half a season. And I can say in all honesty, half of them are actually quite good. Half of them are terrible. Mm. um, And just sort of degenerate into sort of running around in the California or the sort of the, the, whatever the, the Hollywood Hills, but some of them are actually quite well done um, some of them, like I said, they're, they're written by good people. Um, uh, you know, like Saul David wrote an episode, uh, William Nolan wrote an episode, DC Fontana, Harlan Ellison, John Meredith Lucas. Wow. Uh, I mean, these are names very familiar to people who, who grew up on and watched the original Star Trek. Uh, alums. but right. And, 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 uh, and for example, like just briefly, uh, there is an episode by, uh, Harlan Ellison called Crypt. That's very, very good. There is an episode I can't remember which one. Um, it might be it might be Carousel, but there's an episode where they go back to the City of Domes and they they you know they use a little bit of stock footage, but they basically make their own version of the City of Domes, and it's it's very very good. Like I as I watch the show, like you know one episode would be a dreadful, the next episode would be good, one episode dreadful, the next episode good. But it was sort of interesting um, to sort of see like another. Take on it, but it is in fact it is a remake. It is not. It basically takes place in a parallel uh, world of Logan's Run because it starts off the exact same and it goes off in a completely different direction. Hmm. Um, and I think that there have been um, multiple unofficial remakes of Logan's Run. And for example, the three that uh, that immediately come to mind for me are um, In Time, uh, which stars none other than Justin Timberlake. Uh, where people have uh, essentially a clock on their person that's always running down. They're always trying to get more time. And it's about a young man and a beautiful woman who managed to overthrow a society that makes you wear a clock on your person. (laughs) And when it runs out, you die. Um, uh, Have you seen The Giver? No. The Giver came out in 2014 as a movie based on a book from the early 90s. And um, it's sort of like a tween novel. And we took our kids to see it. And about halfway through it, I leaned over to my wife and I said, this is Logan's Run. And The Giver is in almost every possible way a remake of Logan's Run with tremendous similarities and content and themes. And I think also as is um, The Island, uh, the Ewan McGregor Scarlett Johansson movie. Mm. And again, all of these films involve some sort of duplicitous society that is based on a lie where uh, one man and one woman who are both very, very young racing against time in one form or another, you know, overturn the society and reveal everything to be a lie. Um, So I think, I think that those are the three that that come to mind for me right off the top of my head. Um, And I don't know, have you read much about the Logan's run remake that's been going on?
1: I know that they've, There've been uh, basically persistent Logan's Run remake rumors for decades that have gone on and off, and nothing's ever come out. But I think now, did they start filming something, or they actually? No, no, I don't think so. There's something that's close, supposedly. Now they're just sort of lost in
0: development hell. I think is the term, right? Um, But but uh, I mean, I I remember going back. I think going back to the you know early 2000s, there was talk of a Logan's Run remake or maybe making into three movies a la the hunger games um but i will tell you i would be very very happy if they never remade it i'm obviously a big fan of this version i think they did a good job the idea has been done multiple times since as i mentioned other films like viewers kind of know this shtick already like they're better off to sort of leave it lying and move on i mean you're better off to remake omega man (laughs)
1: listen they remake almost everything especially if it had any kind of resonance the first time yeah um and there have been a couple of
0: comic book series that have tried to sort of either uh tell continuing stories of logan and jessica uh to various uh degrees of success and i think I've, i'm embarrassed to tell you i think i've read every last one of them really um and yeah, well, there have been a couple of, there have been a couple of comic book series over the years. There was an original, I think, six or seven comic book series when the movie came out. And then there have been a various and sundry comic book series over the years. And the last one came out, um, by a small, uh, comic house that sort of released them in, in, um, Uh, you know, clustered books. Like you could buy like a book of four or five issues and I read them and they were okay. And again, like it shows you that like, there's still some interest in this world and there's still stories to be told in this world. I personally don't know if they need to be told on the screen. Um, but, um, there's apparently a fourth Logan's run novel that's available as an ebook that I have not read myself that I probably should download. Mm. um, I don't know, you know, I think um, it's kind of, you know, it's the end of an era, this movie, Uh, you know, like Star Wars just sucks all the oxygen out of the out of the room for the, you know, the next several decades, you know, I mean, even to the point that Star Trek had to, you know, ape Star Wars in some ways in order to resurge uh, in the 1970s. But I mean, like, you know, after Logan's run, there is no real other movie kind of like this, uh, with this sort of tone and tenor again for a very very
1: long time i i i don't think they we've ever really gotten back to it
0: no and it's, it's also you know it's like you know it's a style it's a style of science fiction storytelling that um you know that had its time and 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 is done right um there are some good parodies of Logan's Run. Um, there are some Logan Run's fan films online on YouTube that you can watch. Um, the best Logan's Run parody ever that I think that has ever been made and likely ever will be made is, have you ever seen Free Enterprise? Yes, I have. The- there's a phenomenal scene in Free Enterprise where the the main characters who are living in LA trying to sort of you know transition to adulthood and one of them is turning 30 he has a dream set in the logans around world that looks uh, fantastically well done and he's chased by his best friend who plays the sandman and and right before he's killed there's a great line where he says to his friend like no one even remembers logan's run like yeah. why are we having a logan's run dream like nobody knows this anymore yeah. and they sort of like even acknowledge that you know by the 90s logan's run had been all but forgotten right Good stuff. Uh, I think Family Guy has done a little Logan's Run
1: parody uh, here and there along the way as well. It's got to be Simpsons um, or Family Guy or one of those. It, yeah, I'm pretty it's sure it's
0: Family there. Guy. I'm pretty sure it's – and like I said, there's one or two Logan's Run fan films uh, that you can watch that um, that are not bad. They're not bad. They're mostly student films, but they sort of get to the heart of things. Um, okay. Any Anything else? We're just over an hour. Anything else you wanna mention about the movie?
1: I don't think so. I Jenny Agather, Michael York. I I think it's listen compared to the last two stinkers we talked about. This thing,
0: <laughs> this, this is Shakespeare. This thing's <laughs> terrific.
1: I mean, you know, look if if you haven't seen it, uh, if we haven't bored you to death talking about it, if you haven't seen it at this point, it's it's this one's worth it because it's it's a it's a good picture and it has an interesting post-apocalyptic take and what we mean when we're saying that it was the end of an era it's the end of people wondering what the downside of a utopian society is what it means to be a utopian society there's a a certain um, anti-technologic kind of luddite Quality that comes out of the sixties that permeated this kind of science fiction, and it wasn't just paranoia as for example, some in the eighties they made some post nuclear holocaust movies that essentially were just fear uh, driven but not so right. much not so much driven by concepts about um, the downsides to utopian societies or the advancement of technological societies without regard to um humanistic concerns and that was those were things they were worried about right so you know it, it's it's interesting and it's it's worth seeing and and it's it's well done except for maybe box and, right
0: and it takes itself seriously you know sort yeah. of like you know unlike omega man um or um You know some of the other films we've talked about. Like it takes itself seriously, right? It takes itself seriously from start to finish, and there's no winking at the camera. Like there's no, they're not really chewing the scenery. You know, it's not that style of acting, and you know, like you believe it's very convincingly done that you know Logan and Jessica and Francis are who they say they are. Like they are, they are people of a completely different culture that we are allowed to watch and see
1: once your eye gets gets used to the costuming and you know the lighting's a little bit especially the costuming once your eye gets used to that then you realize that they paint a convincing picture of of the the world of, in the domes and 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 of a their lifestyle right. and, and and of that dystopian society and you're not constantly being thrown out and uh, thrown out of the 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 mode and realizing what a what a stinker it is, you know. For example, like I did with with the black hole, um right, right, yeah. So, we you just we're just in the black hole. You just reminded at
0: every possible turn that they're on a sound stage. Yeah. Um. Um. Did you notice, by the way? Did you notice the Star Trek reference? The one uh overt Star Trek reference. I can't. Which was it? I don't remember. So um, it's it's sort of considered like a famous blooper that got into the movie. So it's the last shot of the entire film, or, or it's – well, I should say it's perhaps the, the penultimate shot of the entire film. Oh, where, where
1: where Logan says, live long
0: and prosper.
1: The, well,
0: yeah. <laughs> You're close, actually. <laughs> um So uh, the very last shot of the movie is Logan and Jessica embracing, but the shot right before that is all of the young people waving and smiling at the old man, and they're all extras, and one of them very conspicuously raises his hand in the live long and prosper gesture, and it's it's, (laughs) – It's right there in the middle of the frame; like you cannot miss it once you know it's there. Awesome! And um, he said, "The guy who did it, I read somewhere. You know, he never thought it would get into the movie. He thought they'd cut it out, and lo and behold, it's it's in the movie." Whoops! Yeah. Awesome. um okay anything else I, I don't know i'm a fan uh i'll probably always be a fan of this movie it's a guilty pleasure and i think again despite some a couple of glaring bad moments uh overall uh definitely uh a serious and landmark science fiction film yep it's a good one all righty thanks for joining us all right we'll be back uh next week yeah thank you